Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and change makers. When my wife and I got a pug last year, the algorithm inundated us with pug accounts, including Grumble Farm out of Canada. We loved seeing the pugs, but also enjoyed learning more about the unbelievable beauty of British Columbia and getting to know Brandy and Jesse. Today's guest is Brandy Chalmers, one of the two humans behind Grumble Farm. She's here to talk about her journey as a content creator and how she shows up as her authentic self. In this conversation, we talk about her curiosity around a million things, the dehumanizing and fragmentizing nature of niching, the struggle with how much to share, the art of asking for what you want and need, and the mindset shift that occurred when she moved from the city to the country. Throughout, Brandy shares stories that illustrate a total commitment to living life. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 726. Well, Brandy, welcome to Getting Work to Work. I have been following the work that you've been doing for some time now, and I'm excited to talk with you today. Yeah, that's amazing. When you first invited Jesse on the podcast, I forget exactly how long ago that was. I was like legitimately offended. Like I was like, why the hell would he ask Jesse to be on the podcast and not me? So I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to wiggle my way in there. And here I am. (laughs) Exactly. Well, it's funny because when sometimes when there's two people and one seems to be a little bit more out there, it's like sometimes I'll opt for the the quiet one. Interesting. Not as a way to offend, but as a way to make sure the light shines equally. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, and, and sometimes it creates open, like an open door to more people as well. So oh, I like that. Yeah, I like that. And I think Jesse really appreciated it too, because he is so quiet and kind of behind the camera and behind the scenes that like, he doesn't really get approached for public speaking very often interviews and stuff like that. So that's actually really sweet and kind. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and 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 I was so excited to when we started to converse as well because I think you have so much wisdom to share along so many different fronts. Yeah. It, it's it's one of those things where the timing just worked out. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting dynamic being like a a, a couple, like a content creator pair. Uh, because, you know, he has his specialties and his areas of expertise and then I have mine. So it's like two different, almost two different worlds that come together for many things. But it's like I have my world and he has his world. So there are things that he could talk about that I would have no idea what to say. And likewise, like he doesn't really know how to talk about social media. He hates it. I mean, like I hate it from time to time, too, but like he really hates it. So yeah. the things that I have to say and share are like so vastly different from what he has to share, even though we come together on like the same project. So. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I love that perspective, too, because often when I talk to couples who are both doing like the content creation world, yeah, there's too much intersection to the point where it can lead to frustration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think professionally and creatively, we have our own little bubbles 
Um, in our personal life, though, like when we're both living together 24-7, working from home, creating from home, and then we're coming together to create projects together, like we're together doing everything 24-7. There's no really boundary there. It's mm -hmm. all the time. We're working together. We're creating together. We're living together. And then we're having like our personal relationship together. Like it's, it's a lot. I bring it to my therapist a lot to try and keep like healthy, I don't know, healthy spaces, but it's hard when you're working, creating, living, and like in a relationship together at the same time. It's, it's all the time. <laughs> Do you think that it goes in waves and seasons in terms of what takes priority or do you have to find daily time to make sure that you're elevating the personal life? Yeah, that's a good question. I'll probably jot that down and take it to my therapist this week. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm trying to learn that. I don't know. It's tough. Like it's, it's everything all the time. And I think like, I don't know, it's, it's something I'm still trying to learn. Jesse and I are constantly also always pretty much in hustle mode. So it's not like we're really, I don't know, in a, in a place or haven't learned or, or not at a stage yet where we can really like feel like we're compartmentalizing or have space to like have that personal non-work time. It's always just like work, 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 work. Like it just like gets into our lives in every aspect because we're trying to make it work. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So it's it's all the time. So I would say that the work aspect of it probably has had priority for almost our entire relationship for sure. Um, you know, eventually I'd love to get to a place where maybe there's a bit more balance for that or or whatever. But right now it's it's pretty much just all working and, and trying to, I don't know, trying to get there so that we can afford ourselves that time and space to maybe be together where it's not quite work related. I don't know. We sat down and watched a movie last night for an hour, and that was probably the first time we've done anything that wasn't like trying to trying yeah. to make this whole thing work but yeah that's a win yeah it was a win it was the stupidest movie though but it was you know stupid movies are good sometimes too. <laughs> especially if you both think it's stupid then you can make fun of it and you yeah. don't have to worry about offending the other if they're like yeah exactly oh, best piece of art ever yeah <laughs> mutually agree that this is the dumbest movie of all time we're good to go <laughs> i won't ask what it is just so yeah. that we all stay in suspense yeah <laughs> Well, what are you endlessly curious about, Brandy? What am I? You know what? It's so funny because I was just talking to Jesse downstairs in the kitchen. I was like, Chris didn't send me any pre-question like things to think about. So, so I'm just going to be totally winging it. And I have no idea what I'm going to say. Um, endlessly curious about, I feel like almost too many things at once that I, I can't even really nail down one thing to stick with long enough to like learn enough about it or to like, I don't know, stick with it long enough to like really get super immersed in it and involved in it because there's just a, a million things. Like there's so many things that I'm interested in that I'm constantly trying to find a way to, to like synthesize together under this whole like marketing, um, perspective of like finding a niche and like making everything kind of fit together. And like, I'm like, okay, I have all of these different interests, so many different things, most of which actually have nothing to do with pugs, like nothing, not even close. So my audience, they're all there because they have pugs. You have a pug, like everyone who follows me either has a pug or has had a pug. And a lot of the things that I find my brain sort of like wandering towards are not even remotely connected to that. So my curiosities, like my endless curiosities, all of them, um, I have a hard time actually like, digging into them 
and then bringing bringing the curiosities and the questions and the the interests and the passions back and like sharing those with the world because I don't think anyone really cares about it because they're just all over the place. Right. And it's it's like a constant source of like I don't know like stress for sure, aggravation, frustration, maybe um trying to almost like make everything fit into this like box of like a niche, like what's going to apply to my audience and like what they want to hear about. And I'm like, oh my God, I am like this like multifaceted person who has all of these different interests. And it's just frustrating, like thinking of what to take, uh, like all of my curiosities and my interests, what to take and what to bring back and like what to share with other people. Yeah. Um, this has been ongoing for forever. Like I, I hate, I hate, 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 hate. And I know hate is a strong word and I use it here appropriately, but I hate this concept of niches. Like I just hate it because I think as humans, we are like beautifully, like innately curious people mm-hmm. and to have to like compartmentalize everything and like put everything into like this box of what you think people are going to love and make sense to them. Like, it's just, it drives me crazy. And it really fragments me as a person and as a creator. So that, that question of like, what are you endlessly curious about? It's like friggin' so many things, but (laughs) it's, it drives me nuts. Like it's not, it's yeah, it's crazy. Like, I don't quite know how to, how to handle that within like the creator economy anyways. You know, what came to mind when you said that though, is, is like people come for pugs, right? I came for pugs, but Mm -hmm. I think of like, the pug is the doorway to your endless curiosity because once you start saying all these things, I want to go on that journey with you. Right. I know I'm equally curious about it, but the pug was the doorway. Yeah, totally. I've gotten that so many times and you know, I'm talking about this and I'm sure as I re-listen to it, I'll be listening to myself. It'll be like, okay, Brandy, that's all. It's all in your head. It's always all in your head. I have another account that is like inactive. I'm not sure if you're, it's not really inactive. It's my gritty gracious account. So it's kind of like my dormant personal brand. Yes. Um, That's where I started sharing on social media. And then I swapped it over to Grumble Farm and Grumble Farm started to grow. So gritty gracious has kind of sat there abandoned for quite some time, but half of Grumble Farm's like OG audience started with knowing me as gritty gracious and following me in the pugs as gritty gracious before I actually launched Grumble Farm. And uh, I got a piece of like fan mail. I remember two years ago, I'll never forget it. I got this beautiful card in the mail and it was anonymous. And um, the card was, I forget what it says. I have a picture of it, but it was just this beautiful card about how much I've touched their lives and how much my stories have impacted them. And at the end they said, I came for the grumble, but I stayed for the gritty. And I was like, okay, that it just like touched my heart. I was like, oh my God, I've never forgot it. So if you go to Grumble Farm's website, the top of it literally says, come for the grumble, stay for the gritty. And I'm sure not a lot of people know what that means, except for those that were there since the very beginning. But it was just really validating to know. And I hear it from people all the time. They find Grumble Farm, like our reach is very much with the pugs. Like they find Grumble Farm, they used to find them from, from Jonas. Now they find it with the girls and just all the pug stuff I share. And then they end up staying for everything else. And I always have to remind myself of that. Like it's, it's all in my head. It's like an, a sort of like an ego thing or just like a self-worth thing. You just have to remind yourself that you're more than you think (laughs) and people care more than you think. I do find it interesting though, because I think the concept of niching is a way of taking humanity and putting them in a box. Mm -hmm. And I love what you're saying is that we find those entry points to who we are as people. Uh, so that people can connect with us. And and I think, you know, we're more than just what we do. It's who we are and what we aspire to be and who mm-hmm. we've been and, you know, all of those things. And, you know, not to be too philosophical about it, but I think niching is such a robotic way of approaching life and work. 
Yeah. It's really dehumanizing almost in a way. Like I talk about the fragmentation a lot. I think any normal functioning, like intelligent human being understands that. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's something that's like, you know, people don't get or people don't understand, but it's just, it's the system. Like it's the, it's just the, the system around us, this marketing worlds, like the, the online business worlds, like all of that, it, it has these structures and these systems and these rules that you're supposed to play by. And that is probably one of the biggest ones. And it kind of messes with you. Like it does. Like, I think we all know my audience knows my people, like they're my friends, like my online friends, they all know this. Like they all love me. They all want to hear, they want all of me. They want to hear it all. They want to see it all. But here I am saying like, they're not going to be interested. People hate me. If I post about cooking in the kitchen, like I'm going to lose all these followers. No, like it's not, it's not like that. People get that we're just like these beautiful, like elaborate multifaceted humans. And nobody really, I don't know. I don't think anybody really buys by the niche thing, but there is this pressure to like play by the rules in order to succeed. And the niche thing is definitely one of them. And it it sucks. Like it, it does suck. What's interesting about that too is is what I heard and what you were just saying too is there's this fear of authenticity. There's this fear of vulnerability. And from an outsider's perspective, I am impressed. I am enamored. I am overwhelmed with how vulnerable and authentic you are mm-hmm. at times. And, and I see that struggle between how much do I share? Yeah, I appreciate that struggle because it it brings you in more, I think. Mm -hmm, Definitely. It's yeah, it's interesting. This entire time, like my social media career, I guess, like since I've been on the Internet, like I I first, you know, joined my my first, I guess, like Web 2.0 online community when I was nine years old, like when my family brought back our first computer and I started sharing on like old school message boards um, I was actually like uh, homeschooled for most of like middle school and high school as well. So that was kind of like the beginning of like the online schooling era. And we had sort of like a, you know, a chat room and a forum. And then we each had our own individual pages that we could like decorate and like kind of like MySpace, like say, like show who your friends in the classroom were and like write little updates and like add little pictures and stuff like that. And uh, I, I think that's sort of like where my, my, I guess, journey, you could say, of sharing about my life personally online sort of began like way back then. And so it's always just been so natural and normal for me to share really nothing but what's happening in my life. Like, and it's that simple. And I remember that kind of just, I don't know, it just, it came so naturally and it came so normally. And it was sort of just this ongoing story of my life since when I was like nine years old, of course it jumped platforms, like whatever platform kind of comes up, you know, I remember very much when Facebook first, um, like first started and, um, and then of course, Instagram and then Instagram is kind of like where I honed in and started actually like building an audience before I really understood like that I was building an audience. Like I didn't really know what that meant or anything like that. But this had been, uh, you know, accumulation of people who had been following me from platform to platform uh, across like many, many years. So it just became so not even a second thought. Like it, it, there was never really any moments of being like, oh, this, you know, is this too vulnerable to share? Like for the most part, I feel like I overshared like my entire life and it wasn't a second, like there was no question about it. So, you know, and this was like, not just like the Instagram versus reality thing where like I was making this polished sort of like, you know, image or, or highlight reel of my life. It was all the things, like it was my mental health struggles. It was um, you know, just like, you know, depression and anxiety and all this stuff. And then, uh, I think when things 
really started to shift for me online in sharing my journey, this was still very much over on Gritty Gracious, um, was when I was diagnosed with cancer in 2015. I was diagnosed with stage 3A colorectal cancer. So that's a pretty advanced stage cancer, especially to be diagnosed at when I was 29 years old. And what ended up happening then, so this was 2015, is I ended up creating um, a GoFundMe, like just for like my audience pretty much at that time was mostly friends and family and like some actual internet friends. Like there wasn't really any strangers that were following me. Like I knew everybody, maybe like a couple thousand people mm-hmm. I had. And I ended up starting this GoFundMe um, to raise money for like, alter- I was really, in- I still am, but like I decided to take a very alternative route to healing, like healing my body from cancer and that shit's not covered. So you have to pay for it out of pocket. And it was very, very expensive. And um, I basically just started this GoFundMe and decided to go by the rule of ask. And what that ended up turning into was just this like wildly successful fundraiser. It was my first experience with fundraising. And then from there, on GoFundMe, they encourage you to uh, like update people with what's going on. Like you give updates and you share as kind of like not an expected exchange, but just like a unspoken exchange for people like donating and giving you money. You want to give them updates to how you're doing. And so that's sort of where I really started to grow my audience is when I started to share about my cancer journey. And so people started coming in and following that. And all of a sudden my audience on Great Gracious started to grow and started to grow and started to grow to people. I didn't know who they were. Um, at that point I started getting like, you know, experiencing trolls coming in and hate comments and kind of all that stuff. So I got to experience what that was like, uh, back then. And so this process went on for probably about five years. That was sort of like where everything started to, to grow and where I started to really share like that vulnerability in my life. And so it was never, never really a, a question um, or like a second thought as to to what is vulnerable and what isn't. It was just all of it and everything. And um, I, I feel like once I really started getting into content marketing and like learning about digital marketing and like making a business online and monetizing your audience and like actually making a sustainable living out of it. That's when I started to get all of this. I started to get a little bit confused because there started to be all of this feedback about like, showing up as an expert in your, you know, in your niche or, you know, all the niche stuff that we just talked about, but also like you have to show up as an expert. You have to like establish your authority. You have to like, you know, all the rules, you have to do this. You have to do this. You have to create a course. You have to, you know, go on podcasts. You have to market yourself. You have to do this. You have to do that. And I was, you know, I was trying because I was like, these are the rules. These are what I have to, this is what I have to do in order to succeed. But I keep coming back to just the simplicity of sharing about my life and having that be enough instead of having to like create these, like, I don't know, either become an expert and an authority figure or create like a, you know, an actual like for sale, like, you know, product that I have to market and sell, which is still great. That's still fine. I can do that too. But I, I do keep coming back to that piece of just like, there actually is a separate part of being someone who's making a living online that has nothing to do with actually being an expert or an authority figure or like, you know, developing and bringing a product to market. There's a part online where you can just be yourself and just share your stories and just like show up and be vulnerable and like bring forward who you are. And that's, that's enough. Like that's enough. And I think that is so cool. And I wish actually, I wish more people would tap into that a little bit because I personally find it interesting. I love when I find someone who is sharing authentically and actually sharing, you know, taking down that sort of like facade or that curtain and actually letting me into their lives. When I can relate to someone from something personal that they are sharing that is maybe a little bit vulnerable or a little bit hard, that's when they hook me. 
I, you know, I don't get hooked from someone who's selling me a product that solves my problem. Like, I, I don't care. That's a very transactional relationship. I either buy the product or I don't. And then I forget about them. Over here, though, those are very relational transactions. And so I'm actually connecting really deeply with this person. And that's where I make friends. Like, that's where I actually make real human friends and where I actually get to grow and expand and like make these connections and build this beautiful network. Like, you know what happened with the Jonas stickers. Like, it's just, it's so wonderful. And that's all from just being authentic and vulnerable and sharing rather than approaching it from like a very businessy perspective. So that's sort of where I'm at with it today, especially after moving to the cabin. I'm like, you know, I can show up as myself with my beautiful, incredible, amazing, interesting life that I personally feel inside all those things. And that's enough. Like that, that should be enough for, for anyone to watch. I would want to watch my life if I were me. So it's been, you know, it's been a, a mindset shift along the way. Um, holy shit, that was long, but that's like exactly perfectly sort of how my journey to like sharing vulnerably has gone and my, yeah. my understanding around that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that so much because so much of the push of online marketing, online business is find the problem that you that you solve for people and continually solving it and i'm like my first thought is what if that problem is boring <laughs> and what what if it's boring and successful like that to me is like why not just go work at you know some job 9 to 5 job exactly. and do the same thing over and over again yes. and I love your approach of like just be yourself live your life mm -hmm. at things you know, heaven forbid you show that you actually suck at some things and aren't expert at something. Yeah. There's mindset and all that. Yeah. People love that. Like they they really do love it. Um, the the whole like problem solving thing, it's such like just cringy marketing language. Like I, I always just get so I always think about just like big corporate brands and and their sort of marketing strategies and stuff like that when it comes to solving problems. It's not that it's not, it's not that it's untrue. Like, it's very true. Like big corporations or product-based businesses, they have, it, you know, you have to find a problem and you have to solve it for people to come to you. Um, and I think you can look at that in, you know, through a little bit of a different lens when you come to sort of this space that I was talking about, me showing up and actually monetizing my audience. In a way, I am solving problems, but it's not in like the conventional boring way that you would think of. You have to think of it more of like, you know, I'm solving the problem of like, somebody's looking for a little bit of escapism. Like, I think that people don't think of entertainment as solving a problem either, you know, or even just art in general. They they don't think like, well, this isn't solving a problem. It's part of the artist's struggle. Like, they don't think like, you know, I'm solving a problem that doesn't apply to me. You are. Like, there's this whole side of people that have these quote unquote problems. It's just the wrong word. I don't know. Maybe I don't resonate with the word or the language, but you are solving a problem. You are making people happy. You are giving them some form of escapism to like, so that they can detach from this shitty world and come over here and actually enjoy their lives for a minute. You know, like there's a whole world of artists and writers and just like creative people that people are immersing themselves in because you are solving, you are solving a problem for them. But it's like, personally, I think it's the better kind of problem. <laughs> <laughs> the space, the problems that I want to be solving, that's for sure. Yes. Yeah. I, I had someone recently say that it's not problem solving, it's finding pleasure. Yes. Yes. So that's the reframing. Exactly. You don't have to think of it like solving a problem. Oh, like what if the problem's boring? But like that kind of thing. You just re reframe that and then it yeah. makes so much sense. It's yeah. so much better to think of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things you said, Brandy, that that was awesome in all of the awesome things you've already said was the rule of ask. Yes. <laughs> what is it? How hard was it to learn it? And really, I mean, 
how do you recommend that we all learn how to do that? Because that mm-hmm. is the number one problem of most artists. It is. Asking for what you want slash need. Totally. So this goes actually, it connects perfectly to the story I just word vomited out about my cancer experience because my first experience with the rule of ask was starting up that GoFundMe and asking people to give me money. And so that wasn't directly related to content creation per se, even though it kind of indirectly ended up being that, um, you know, GoFundMe's are fundraisers. People start GoFundMe's all the time and they ask for money. So um, Grumble Farm has a, a Patreon community. So we started up that Patreon community um, almost three years ago now, and it's probably my favorite thing ever. I love it so much. And one of like the, not the founders of Patreon, I don't know the right word, like one of the original creators um, who started a successful Patreon, um, her name's Amanda Palmer. And so she, yeah, I'm not too familiar with her work. I'm not a patron or anything like that, but she has so many friggin' patrons. She's a musician and a creator and a speaker and a writer and all the things, like all the multifaceted things. Um, And uh, she, she has a book. And I I think it's called The Art of Asking. And she also did like a really famous TED Talk called The Art of Asking. That might not be the exact title, but that's the the, uh, topic of it was The Art of Asking. And so she wrote this entire book. Haven't read it. I would love to. I'm just very aware of it. And I'm very aware of the concept. And uh, it's, you know, the rule of ask is essentially what it, it sounds like. You can't open any doors of any type of opportunity whatsoever unless you ask. And so that could be, asking your audience that could be asking your family that could be asking god like the universe you know what i mean like ask somebody and it doesn't have to be directly like an ask a a, a specific question like can i have x or like will you help me with x this can be asking for opportunity this can be asking for abundance this can be just asking for help and so I think you're you're totally right when you say it's the number one thing that artists struggle with because they struggle with asking. I mean, like humanity struggles ask, with asking for help, but like artists struggle with asking for money. And so that's what Amanda Palmer's whole thing is about is asking for money. And, you know, she obviously did it better than anyone has ever done it because she has like, I don't even know, hundreds of thousands of patrons. I don't know, but she's done it very successfully. And that's what she shares is through this rule of ask. But it's it doesn't also have to be for huge, massive things like wealth and and, and money. It can be for the smallest things. So the, the rule of ask is generally the art of asking for help. And I experienced it through my GoFundMe raising money for my cancer treatment. And then when I launched Grumble Farm, originally, um, it was a pug rescue organization. Pug rescue and animal rescue, if you're not good at the art of ask, you can't, <laughs> do it. You can't be doing that. You have to be ruthless with the art of ask. And uh, so I got very, very, very comfortable with asking regularly and asking consistently. And it's it's uncomfortable at first because it brings up so much self-doubt and so much insecurity. Is my project or my art or my idea worthy of asking for money? Like there's this weird thing about money. I feel like the two different things, like the art of asking for help, like that's maybe not monetary, you know, that's one kind of struggle in someone's personal life if they need help with something. And then there's the art of asking for money. <laughs> and it's like people struggle so hard with that. So I'm just trying to think of like if there's any advice I could give for someone who is struggling with that, because I'm thinking about when I started doing it and how it was very uncomfortable for me at first. 
Um, it feels really icky. Like you don't want to do it. It's just like, it feels really gross. It's, it's basically, it's basically selling. Um, I guess the art of ask is like, you could be selling something. And then there's the art of ask where you're literally just asking people to give you money, which is what people do for me on Patreon. Um, and when you're fundraising and doing stuff like that. And I I don't know, I think maybe a good way to do it would just be to start, like start small, like start, not start with something so big that you feel super uncomfortable with, but you could start by asking for something really, really small, just, just to like experiment, like do a little experiment for what it feels like to ask for something really, I'm talking about money too, like the whole other, like, but ask for something like ask for $5 or, you know, come up with something that you can sell for like a a sticker or something for like a dollar or something like that. Um, Or if you started like a membership community, I started Patreon offering a $1 a month tier, you know, and a lot of of creators on Patreon will do that. And eventually over time, I ended up canceling that tier. And my lowest tier now is just $5, which is nothing, especially with the Canada to US conversion. It's like pennies. Um, But I started with $1 and to ask people to pay $1 was like, didn't really feel like much. We have a $100 a month tier too. So those are higher. And we have about four patrons in that one, I think. And so there's higher, higher tiers that I can try and sell or get people to go into, but starting small, all of a sudden it's like the bar, I don't know, your comfort level or the bar kind of gets raised. And now I have like no issue asking people. I'm like, why the hell haven't you guys joined Patreon? Like it's, it's just it's <laughs> so natural and you learn and it's, it's yeah. a learning process and anything that you learn that's new, it's going to feel awkward and uncomfortable at first. And you have to push your way through it. Um, just like public speaking, just like, just like any new skill that you're picking up, like you have to start somewhere. So I would say it's a common piece of advice is just to start small with something that is kind of inconsequential. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you go along, you just like, you start doing it a little bit higher and a little bit higher. That's that. what I did anyway. Yeah. <laughs> There's also a, a partner issue that you kind of have to work through as well is the art of receiving. Mm, oh my so, gosh. Yes, you asked. How did you learn to receive and be okay with that? That's actually such a beautiful question, like introspective question. Um, because again, I feel like that can be applied to so many different areas of life. That's not just related to money, but it's oh, that's so enmeshed and so connected because the asking for something and then actually having that transaction where you receive it are so enmeshed and so intertwined. So I think maybe the resistance could be on either side of it. Maybe a person has no problem asking for something, but then when it comes to actually receiving it, they like subconsciously reject it or, sub, you know, have these, these patterns and these mindsets that stop that from actually coming in. So it's, it's a very complex, I don't know, enmeshment of, of two sides of the same coin, I would say. For me, I would say the receipt, I had no choice but to receive when I was fundraising at first for, for my cancer stuff. Where I think I struggled with receiving the most was when I started fundraising for Grumble Farm. So when I was fundraising for Grumble Farm, fundraising is also to me feels very different in terms of receiving than um, something like Patreon, like a transactional relationship like Patreon or, or anything in the content creator sphere. But fundraising is is different. But here's the thing that I found challenging with receiving with fundraising is that the copy, like essentially the written copy that you're using to generate funds and to raise money um, is very much, was very much for me based around helping the the dogs. Like it was about helping the dogs. You know, I have this rescue. He's really sick. He needs this. Like, you know, we need to take care of this. We need these supplies, like always using that sort of like written perspective to get people to donate. And it works like, you know, you fundraise for animals and people just throw their money. Like, you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, but then I had to, like, I had to learn how to take some of that money and 
put it towards my, like actually buy things for myself because I had to survive mm-hmm. actually taking care of all of these dogs. Like I think at one point we had, it's not a lot. There are rescue organizations out there with so many more, but at some, at one point we had like maybe 12 to 13 pugs, like both in my home and out with fosters. And uh, I know, and like, that's nothing. Like there are rescue organizations out there that are so wild, but I think that's my is about 12. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> fosters. Thank God for fosters. But, um, you know, there were times where I had a lot of pugs in my home too, but, um, it, it was kind of like a, a, I don't know if it was a self-worth thing or kind of like an ethical thing that I was, I was sort of battling with. But when it came to receiving that money, I would receive it because I needed it for emergencies and like things like that. But where I had an issue receiving it even further was going across that boundary and actually like buying stuff for myself to survive, to be able to rescue these dogs. Because I felt like I was like deceiving people almost by like, asking them to send me money for these dogs and then taking some of the money to like get a haircut or like, you know what I mean? Like something like that. So there was a lot of resistance to receiving the money past just like, I need this money for this emergency, whether it was for like cancer or like rescue or dogs or whatever. And then actually realizing that like I, as a human being, I'm like part of that. And without me, I wouldn't be able to do it anyways. So there, there was definitely a massive like mindset challenge that I had to get over with that. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely something that I'll be thinking about now, like that receiving piece and um, how that can kind of block the ask from coming through fully, like all the way. Maybe meet you halfway, but it might not come into your life until you're like able to release a, a receiving block to actually bring it in. Anything like money or, or anything. What's interesting too about you, Brandy, is that, you know, from what I know, you were a city girl. To now you're living in the cabin way out in the woods. Mm -hmm. How has that mindset shift affected what you do, your creativity and who you are as a person? Mm -hmm. It's that shift and that transition for me is literally like the foundation of this book that I will write before I die. I swear (laughs) it is it's such and it's not done like it's it's still, you know, it's an ongoing journey. Um, But that. So yeah, that journey is such a like a prolific story that I, I couldn't even pack it into the next like 20 minutes, you know. Like I I spent pretty much my entire life in like downtown, like core downtown Toronto and Calgary. So I was I was born in Toronto, I was raised downtown Toronto, and then I was in downtown Calgary um, for pretty much my entire adult life. And I wasn't even aware of the Kootenays. So I live in the West Kootenays, which is in central British Columbia. I wasn't even aware of this area until I met Jesse three years ago. He was on a job. He was doing a photography job in the city. Um, we met or we reconnected rather, because we actually met in grade five. I'm not sure if you knew that about us, but <laughs> we went to, yeah, we went to school together and stuff like that. But anyways, so he, he and I met at the very beginning of the pandemic And uh, he had been living out in this area for quite some time. His family is out here. Um, He had been kind of back and forth. Like he was just really familiar with this area of the world. And I had never like even really heard of it before. And so in early 2020, um, obviously the pandemic arrived and like shit went crazy and the world went wild. And so it was a very interesting and unique time to begin with. But I think that opened the door for me to sort of like accept his invitation to just pack up our stuff and move out here, like just to see what would happen. I don't think under any other circumstances I would have done that, but it was just the the circumstances of the world. And so I 
sold my car and I packed up all three of the pugs and I put them in Jesse's Jeep. So I didn't have a vehicle anymore. Like I didn't have a vehicle. I didn't have a job. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And, um, you know, we found a little place to live, which was the apartment that we were just in before moving to the cabin and, uh, started like this new life there. And it's been three years since then, just over three years. And looking back at what has happened over the past three years in terms of like, um, integration and just like my personal evolution and the ways that I have changed from like city brandy to like rural brandy. I I'm real. I I'm realizing just like what a very slow integration process that was. Like I pretty much plucked myself out of like city, deep city roots, like city lifestyle, city environment, city noises, city, I don't know, every, all the senses. Like it was just city, 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 city. And it wasn't until I found this road, this wave or found this opportunity in my life in the timeline of my life to like pl pluck my roots, like pull my roots out of the city and plant them down here that I realized how much havoc living in the city had been like reeking on my mental health and, and my physical body. Like I I'm fairly positive that had I been here, I probably wouldn't have gotten cancer. Um, but being in the environment in the city in Calgary, like it just, until I was out here and could actually think and like hear my own thoughts, was I able to really understand like what my environment around me, like the effect it had had on me. But that being said, it wasn't like an easy perfect dreamy like relocation. And I, I feel like people romanticize this lifestyle a lot, yes. a lot, especially on social media. Like there's this whole thing about like, you know, the world has gone to shit. I'm just going to go live in the forest and like, you know, be this like mountain witch. And I'm like, yeah, but are you? Because everyone, everyone romanticizes it. And the reality of it is so much different and not in always the best way. So my integration, like my actual change from really being rooted in the city to actually finally fully being rooted out here and like having a foundation beneath my feet and feeling like I belonged here, um, probably I would say March of this year. So just under three years, um, it took me to finally actually embody um, myself as a woman and like as a person and as a creative and as like a human being in the world belonging in an environment like this, as opposed to identifying with like Calgary Brandy. And I was back and forth and back and forth and back and forth trying to figure this out. I just, I couldn't quite do it. Jesse and I almost broke up so many times because I couldn't figure out where I belonged. I was like, who am I? Like, I miss this. You know, I was, I had so many creature comforts in the city. There was Starbucks. There was like, you know, access to, it's just so stimulating and it's so convenient. And there's, you have everything you want at your fingertips. Mind you, the world was a little bit skewed and a little bit different. The city wasn't like that at the time. So this was very much kind of like this, you know, very much a form of escapism for me when I very first came out here. But, uh, once the world started to open up again and things started to move a little bit, I was kind of like going back and forth because I was feeling really isolated out here and it was a little too quiet and I didn't have enough to like, you know, keep me not bored. Like I, I would get bored and it would just be a little bit too much. I just felt like I, I got, would get like cabin fever. We weren't living in the cabin, but I would get cabin <laughs> fever in our apartment and I would go to the city for stimulation to meet my friends, to go out for lunch, to like be around people to let, you know, and I, I feel like it's been this process of actually shedding that and shedding that and sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into the, the person that I am now. 
Um, my last time that I visited Calgary was in March. Um, I was going back for pug sitting jobs. So I was traveling with Jonas Fern and Ivy and we were doing, um, like house sitting and, and pug sitting and pet care out there. And, uh, on my drive home, I ended up like smoking a coyote on the road in my Hyundai. And I had Jonas Fern and Ivy were in the front seat, which is like big, big, pug mama no no like it's i don't even like i haven't even ever told anyone that they were in the front seat my car was packed with all my stuff in the back and i smoked this coyote and um i actually swerved into oncoming traffic three times trying to like course correct and i missed hitting a semi truck by like a foot like a, it was pitch black too pitch black i missed hitting a semi truck by a foot and i managed to kind of regain my footing i pulled over to the side and i arrived back in the kootenays on my birthday and I talked to my therapist about this and we decided that that was the day of my like rebirth into the Kootenays. Like that was the day that I got here. I couldn't believe that I was alive. And I promised myself that I was never going to go back to the city in the way that I was. So the the cord had been tied, like the, the, the connection had been severed and like my actual, like it was a literal rebirth. Like I was rebirthed into the Kootenays. I feel like the Kootenays sort of like cradled me in. I felt, you know, I felt like I belonged here. Um, it was such a momentous moment. This was March 15th. And, uh, that was actually when I quit social media, March 15th. I decided I got here and I like quit social media. I went blackout and I just went through this period of like, just really sinking into being a Kootenai girl and like being a, a rural Kootenai mountain country girl. Um, it, it didn't happen easy. Like it was, it was a journey. It was so crazy, but I finally arrived and uh, the moment I did, all of these synchronicities started coming into my life. Like I started meeting the right people. I actually started making friends. Like it, it just, this, the energy completely shifted once I finally accepted being here and committed to being here. And uh, everything started to happen. The other thing that happened is that Jonas died. And I believe that in order for new, beautiful opportunities and things to come up in our life you have to shed the old you know and and life is is a really beautiful seasonal cyclical experience of life and and rebirth and losing jonas he was my heart and soul dog and it was one of the hardest things that i've ever had to go through but it was also one of the most beautiful things that i've ever gone through and the timing of it was just so, to me, so divinely guided with, with coming back, almost dying on the way. Um, and then just the series of events that happened and then actually having to sit in this really like precious tender space and say goodbye to him. And then a few weeks after he passed away, we got the opportunity to move even deeper into the forest in this cabin. So it, it was just, to me, it was really reinforcing of just like trusting the timing of things trusting the process of your life. Um, and everything has just lined up so beautifully, like with the good things and with the losses. Um, and it's just been, it's been the craziest, craziest, most beautiful, intense journey to, from being out there to, to being up here. It's, it's crazy. It's, yeah. I love it. <laughs> what I love about that beautiful story too, is that whether it's the journey from the city to the country or becoming a content creator there's a commitment that mm -hmm. you decide to make. There's a point of acceptance. Mm -hmm. And that's the hardest point, I think, for anyone to make is to go from, well, I've got one foot in this world, one foot in that world, to I'm going to fully commit. 
Yeah. And that is the hardest, hardest point. Yeah. Not easy. Energetically, I think that's really connected to the art of asking. And so this is sort of what I meant by um, the art of asking doesn't have to be asking a family member or asking your audience for help. It can be asking the universe. And it also doesn't have to be a direct ask. Your mindset, your decisions, and your actions are constantly asking the universe to give you things or to withhold things from you. And so if you are energetically one foot in one place and one foot in the other, you are not asking the universe for what you want because you don't even know what you want, you know? So like the universe and God or whatever you want to call it, like the, the energetic movement of your life, the, the opportunities that come into your life, the, the way your life moves is, is you're, you're constantly asking, you're constantly bringing, you know, you're, you're constantly creating your reality. And so I think for a, you know, a creator or, you know, in whatever circumstance, like if you're trying to build your life or trying to consciously create your reality, um, your decisions are always asking for that. Mm-hmm. So with my foot, one foot in Calgary, one foot in the Kootenays, the universe and God didn't, literally couldn't. It's just like the the law of attraction. Like it literally couldn't give me the life that I wanted because it didn't know where, where the hell I was or I didn't know where the hell I was. And as soon as I was able to like pluck that one foot out and put it down firmly. And like you said, um, what was the word? Devote, like, it, like devote or commit that commitment. When you make an internal commitment to something, whether it's a creative project or, you know, a a goal that you have in your mind or just something that you want in your life, when you make that firm internal commitment that comes from inside of you, the universe will give you what you are asking for. Like that is a direct act. That is the art of asking right there is that internal commitment and that internal decision in your heart. It goes directly up to the universe (laughs) and the universe provides. It does. So the art of asking can very much work in beautiful ways that way too. Now that you're in the cabin in the middle of nowhere, (laughs) you've learned to be comfortable with with what's going on in your head (laughs) out out (laughs) nowhere. (laughs) And how does that inspire you to dream bigger than you could ever dream before to allow your imagination just to soar in unimaginable ways? Yeah, it's um it's almost impossible not to. Like if you wanted to stop yourself, if it was too overwhelming or too scary or too much at once to have all of these creative downloads or visions or anything like that. If you wanted that to stop, you would have to leave this, the spot that we're in now. Like you, you can't, you can't, Chris, I, I have been sharing most of, actually I've been sharing every single moment of our move to the cabin over on our private patron page. And I'm just about, just about to step back into the public space and start sharing again. It's been this sort of like dark period. I've just gone dark on social media after when Jonas died, I kind of popped in to give a couple of updates about what we were doing, but, um, with the move and everything, I decided not to share it on social media, which was a first for me. Um, and we've been sharing everything with our patrons and I've been thinking of you because I was like, Oh, I really wish Chris could see this so that he could like understand like what's going on around me when we have our conversation and when we connect on, on, uh, the podcast, but uh, you'll see it soon. And then you'll understand I'm in our loft office right now. And when I look out, we have two decks that are East facing. So it's directly where the sun rises. And uh, there is just this like dizzying expanse of Kootenai Lake, like right out front. 
And the sun rises in the morning at 7.06 right now because we get up in the morning and we drink our coffee out on the deck and we watch the sun like peek over the ridge of the mountain. And the whole lake like glitters. Like it, it just these these sparkling little glittery moving. It's 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 unbelievable. It's I don't I'm literally speechless. I am literally speechless. And I think speechless beauty is just such I, I I'm struggling with my words. Like I haven't struggled with my words this entire time. And like here I am struggling with these words. Um to me being this immersed in nature, this deeply immersed in nature, this deep in the forest with the silence and the darkness and the stillness and all of that, it connects me to God. It connects me to Jonas. It connects me to, you know, Chloe, who was my first pug that died. I feel very clearly and divinely guided and supported by them without external noise, without external distractions, um, anything like that. So I'm just, I'm so much I'm so much more able to connect with the forces that sort of like channel that inspiration and channel that just like that gorgeous, like energy of gratitude when you like gratitude for life and for living, which is kind of like the foundation of, of pursuing your passions and like finding creative ideas when you're, you're so intensely grateful for your life. You just want to create and you want to show up and, and you want to share it. So that's the other thing too. When I was talking about just like wanting to share my life and having that be enough, this is more than most people have to share. And I am so lucky for that. And people love it. Like we've just been sharing it with our patrons, but like they are are so thrilled to be a part of it. So I, I can't wait to show back up in Grumble Farms, like pub, in the public space with Grumble Farm and share this with them. But it's, it's impossible to not feel inspired. It's, 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 in, it's inexplainable. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. You have shared so many amazing nuggets of wisdom. Is there <laughs> anything you'd like to leave with listeners right now who maybe are struggling with maybe the words of the gurus that say niche, 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 or, you know, follow these seven steps to better success? What, <laughs> what, what do you have to say for people right now who want to bring their life to life? I would encourage people to not even encourage but i would just i would just straight up tell everyone or tell someone directly that they are always enough always just as they are no rules no expectations no no noise outside noise telling you what you need to do and how you need to do it, how often you need to do it, like just showing up in the world and online or wherever as your true and authentic self is more than enough, always. Is there a book or a podcast that's blowing your mind right now? You know what? Honestly, I feel like I've been taking a little bit of a consumption break which is also extremely important as a creator. Um, sometimes it's important to just not consume anything for periods of time so that you can actually just tune into what you want to create. If you're consuming too much of other people's content, no matter how amazing it is, it's really important to just go on a consumption detox sometimes so that you can clear your mind and you can spend that time actually creating without the influence of, of other 
other creators work. Um, so off the top of my head, like it's hard for me to think of because I'm not listening to anything in particular right now. I actually just picked up a novel um, that was at, at the cabin. It's called In a Deep Dark Wood, and it's like a scary cabin novel. <laughs> and I actually I picked that up intentionally because I am a very like I love to consume high quality content. It feels really good on my brain. It makes me feel inspired. It like, you know, it educates me. Um, and I picked up that novel really intentionally because I haven't read a fiction novel in a really long time. I'm always trying to learn all of these curiosities that we originally talked about at the beginning. I'm picking up a million books, trying to learn about a million different topics. And I remember the first day we moved into the cabin, I saw that book. I was like, I'm going to read a fiction novel. <laughs> to give myself a little bit of escapism, you know, I'm constantly sharing about my own reality and I need to have a little bit of escapism too. So I'm solving my own problem <laughs> by reading some fiction. <laughs> well said. Well, Brandy, thank you so much, not only for being on Getting Work to Work today, but I want to end with just a quick story about my own life and how you've impacted me. Yeah. I don't know if you remember, but in our original conversation, you gave me a bit of encouragement that was like one of three moments that all happened at the same time that encouraged my own direction shift. So I've been shifting towards wanting to be more of a content creator and making a living from it as opposed to just being a service-based business. And when you said you have put in the time, you put in the work, you deserve to make a living from your work. That was part of uh, the shift that I needed. So thank you for that. You have impacted me in a way that is helping me to move toward my future. So thank you. I love that. Thank you for sharing that, Chris. That just like warmed my heart and made my whole entire day. <laughs> yeah, that's that's amazing. I, I think I am floored by the work that you do. I, I think like your library and content archive and the the work that I see you firsthand putting into every single episode on social media and just like in the podcast itself is I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. I am, I am so, I'm like, I don't even know you. And I am so incredibly proud of your efforts for what you've done. Like it, it's, it's definitely worthy of all the things. <laughs> I hope you loved this conversation with Brandy as much as I did. There were so many applicable topics for content creators and creative entrepreneurs, especially the conversation around niching. To me, it's just another adaptation of generalist versus specialist. And as someone who does a lot of different things, every time I try to choose one thing, I end up either frustrated or bored. If you have a ton of interests and are tired of being told to choose, and you want to go wherever your curiosity and passions go, I've got an online workshop on November 9th called Spread Your Ideas Like a Horny Rabbit, Creative Systems of Content Production for People with Too Many Ideas. You can find more information on the Getting Work to Work website, just click the workshops tab at the top. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.